Are you ready to change your mind? Are you ready to rethink the truth about reality? It's time to go on a journey into this weird world. Hello and welcome back to This Weird World. My name is Tansy Bajant and I'm your host for this show. So I really hope that you've been doing really well in the weeks that I last spoke to you and that you're able to find your balance in these changing times. I know that I've really enjoyed being able to go out again and see people and friends, family, do a few of the normal things once more. So it's been a real treat. And I think that's something about this time is it really forces you to live in the present and to truly appreciate what you have around you. And when you get the opportunity to go and see people, how wonderful that feels. So I hope you're uh, enjoying it too. So this episode that I've got for you today is an exciting one. It's one that I recorded right at the beginning of my recordings and so it's just taken me a little bit of time to get it out to you. Um, But it's a really relevant one to so many of us who have experienced trauma or who've experienced a deep change in direction. So in this episode I am interviewing a remarkable woman called Wendy Black She is a sound therapist and uses crystal singing poles as a modality to heal, to help you connect, to work with people who are at the end of their lives and to help with pain. And I've been to one of her sound baths and they are truly transformational and extraordinary and I couldn't recommend working with Wendy enough. Uh, She really does have a beautiful talent and skill, and it's really an extraordinary experience. But Wendy wasn't always a therapist. She actually was a Microsoft engineer, but then she ended up going through a life-changing moment. She had had a hip replacement some years before, and through the hip replacement, she got heavy metal poisoning and became paralyzed. And the doctors really didn't have a cure. They didn't have anything that could be done and she just had to be made to be as comfortable as possible. Now, this interview is all about showing how Wendy moved through paralysis, how she felt when she was in paralysis, what the experience was like, and actually how she ended up managing to heal herself. So this is a really incredible story, and we talk about the sound and crystal singing bowls, we talk about being a practitioner, and we talk about her experience in being paralysed. So I really hope that you enjoy this one. Wendy is such a pleasure to talk to. She is a 
beacon of light and love and joy and kindness and so it's always a real honor to have such guests on my show. So I will let you listen and I will speak to you on the other side. Oh, and I just wanted to apologize about the sound quality. It was one of the earliest interviews I recorded and so I hadn't quite got my settings right. Uh, We were also in quite a noisy place and so there was people walking past with children and uh, some rain towards the end. But I think that you can feel like a fly on the wall and really be part of the ambience of our conversation. Um, But yes, I do apologize. I hope that it's not going to interrupt your enjoyment of the show. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. Um, I wonder if you could give the listeners a little brief description about who you are and what you do. Thank you for having me, Tansy. Um, I am a nomadic crystal sonic therapist. I basically roam wherever anyone will have me to play crystal singing bubbles um, that are made from uh, precious semi-precious stones and minerals and work on a cellular level to promote energy release and life improvement. And what is it about the crystal singing bowls in particular as a sound healing form that you that you resonate with? Why, why crystal bowls? The crystal bowls for me um, helped me during a time when I needed to rewire certain neural pathways having experienced a heavy metal stroke <laughs> I'd had a hip I'd had a hip implant in my mid-30s which at the time was like cutting edge um, but over 10 years particles went into my DNA and caused a massive buildup of cobalt and chromium that crossed over and gave me a non-vascular stroke leaving me paralyzed was that fully paralyzed uh, completely paralysed on my left side, um, which obviously people think, oh, it's just your arm and leg, but it actually means that all the supporting muscles and connections are gone, so you're completely not able to sit up. I lost my sight for a period of about five days, and speech, an ability to f- swallow and digest food. When I started to become paralysed, when it happened, I just thought I was feeling a little bit tired. I'd been out for a walk with the dog, thought I was feeling a bit tired, went and lay down and then thought, oh, this feels really odd. Not sure what's happening. I thought, okay, I'm going to get up and go and get some help. And then I realised I couldn't get up. So I thought, which is a big mistake. (laughs) If I can get down onto the floor and crawl, then I'll be fine. Uh, And then once I got down onto the floor, I realised I didn't have any legs. And so I ended up kind of commandoing into the hallway. Uh, And by the time I got to my son's door, which is next to my bedroom door, I went to say something to call for help and I had no voice. And then things started to get very dark. So then I was kind of just scratched at the door. And the last thing I remember was him opening the door, thinking it was the dog and going, what are you doing? And then that was it. And then five, four or five days later, I woke up in hospital, couldn't really see. Things were very dark. Um, I think it's mainly 
you're aware. For me, it wasn't so much feeling frustrated at being locked in. That came much later with, without being able to talk. So I do like to talk. <laughs> um, Same. <laughs> that was the thing that was, ah. Um, but it, it was genuinely the anguish of people you are able to hear. I could still hear. And although I had, my sight start came back quite quickly, it wasn't great because obviously the heavy metal had crossed over and given me kind of instant cataracts. So my sight was like, wow, what's happening? In fact, at one point I thought I was having, um, um, the sign of a cataract is that they give people halos. So I was like, oh, I'm crossing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris the end for me. Um, but you are, you are very calm. I found that I was very, very calm. And did you feel in that moment that you were quite present? Because normally you think of being, not being able to speak, um, not being able to do things for yourself that you would get very bored. But did you feel that you weren't 100% present in that experience? No, it's timeless. It's pretty much timeless. There are long stretches where you're, I'm sure that I wasn't as fully conscious as I thought I was. Um, there were long stretches where it seemed like endless days that everything just bled. In fact, there was no sleeping, really. It all bled into another. And you're also uh, medicated. Yeah. Heavily, heavily medicated, which puts you in a kind of stasis where you're not awake, not asleep, to keep you calm. Maybe that was the calmness mm -hmm. that I felt. But in the end, it was um, once your senses start to return more and you realise the challenges ahead, that's when you think... This is a big mountain. Is this a mountain that I can climb? Is it worth climbing it? You know, it's sadness, really. I felt very sad that everyone around me was feeling, was, you know, desperate. And you could hear the doctor saying, well, there's nothing we can do. Wow. We don't know what's caused this. It's not vascular. Because then people didn't know immediately. It took months before people realised they sent my blood off to somewhere in Germany to get it tested. And because that was at that point that you could hear that they were talking about your prospects of life. That Yeah, they said that I had five years left to live and that they would make me very comfortable. But I could be discharged. And I can remember the despair on my husband's face because he was like, well, she can't sit up, she can't eat, she can't do anything. How am I going to... And they said, we'll get you a trolley and we'll oh, really? come out. And it felt a little bit like being discharged in an open coffin because as far as they were concerned, they'd done everything that they could. They weren't being unkind, just they'd done everything that they could. So off you go. And how were you fed at that stage? How was he having to feed you? Was it... I had with... a, a nasal, nasal gastric tube because I'd lost the ability to... I'd had um, vagus nerve damage. So uh, that effect, and for me, that affected my stomach and the ability, all peristaltic action. So I was unable to manage food. And because of an injury that I'd had previously, where I'd have been unfortunate enough to have been mugged and had, well, I had appendicitis mass um, and had received a blow to my abdomen, I'd lost 50% of my um, gut. So... The stroke on top of that, years later, put me into a very difficult position when they started to talk about having um, colostomy bags and also feeding tubes directly into the stomach. And I resisted all of those. 
because I felt that once you did that, it's harder to come back. And how are you communicating at that stage? Frustratedly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what used to reduce me to tears at that point, was the fact that you would know that you wanted a cup of tea and just could not say it. And then you'd come across people who didn't quite understand that and they would be frustrated with you because not everybody who does the job of care is, it's a job. It's not vocational for everybody. So you can be treated like a child, even though you're an adult, and that's a very difficult thing to, yeah. to deal with. I mean, especially as it happens so fast, that transition and suddenly from being well to yeah. suddenly being in a position where, you know, and being an adult and suddenly being in a position where you're having to be taken care of and then people are treating you like you're incapable and you're like a child. And it's just, I mean, mentally that must be really challenging just to even ask for a cup of tea. Did they have to use sort of imagery and then you'd look between the two? Or... Yeah, I found, um, yeah, that I had um, cards, that I'd, or they just literally, people would come in and just wave things. Because also you have to understand that people were on, they're under time pressure, so when they're coming in to see you, you've only got a short amount of time, so people will just literally come in in the end and just wave it at you. Mm. So that in itself was a kind of a spur on to try to get things back. And... You were given five years, you were paralysed, you were unable to speak, you were hardly able to see, and you healed yourself. So was there a sort of a transformational moment that you thought, I can do this, or how did that start? I think there was a super low, a really, really deep low where I wanted to do, where I just wanted to go off into the woods somewhere, curl up, and let it all, even though that was impractical because I couldn't get out of bed, but I just wanted to take myself away from the people it looked like I was hurting around me and go off, curl up and just go. Then it was a case of somebody put some headphones on me because what I could do is I could hear. Someone played me, the first book that someone gave me was Ram Dass's Be Here Now. Good choice. Great choice. <laughs> I don't think they knew what they were doing. Wow. But it was just a random choice that they said it was inspirational. Someone had told them it was inspirational and it might help. Um, and it did. And I don't think there's a day goes past where I might not dip into that book. Uh, and I thought, OK, I get this. I can't communicate any of it, not properly, but I get this. Give me another one. Give me another one. Then one about neuroplasticity. Then one about sound, which was the one that I went, OK. People are rewiring their brains. Interesting. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could be brave. Maybe I could accept where I am instead of trying to fight against it and fully realise how bad it is instead of, like, trying to put on a brave face for everybody. Just actually embrace how bad it is. Be honest. Not try to be who I was because you might never get back to, you're never going to be that person. You're not the same as you were yesterday. Um, and move forward like that. And then it was like, okay, so what could I do? Because I was a Microsoft engineer. So no matter, it, I was from a science. So if you couldn't, you know, I thought it was woo-woo. And this is not real. This is not a real thing. None of this stuff is real. If you can't see it, touch it, and explain it by science, then it's not real. So... I thought, right, just abandon everything because everything's abandoned you. What is the lesson? So the lesson is to sit and take notice. 
and then see where you are and then be humble really be really really humble in where you are and move forward and so it was sound and then i then i was very lucky that um i got referred to somebody privately in exeter who said okay so you might have five years to live but there are these options that might be available to you but they're not available in the uk so having been out of work for a while and still quite proud, not let go of that one, um, I didn't want to ask for financial help. Um, so my daughter's friends, who I'm very lucky, uh, all put in a crowdfunder for me to go and do me properly. Not dip your toe in and say, oh, I tried that once and it didn't work to properly take time out and just do you. At this point, sorry, just to interrupt, were you still in the same paralysis? No, I went in a wheelchair. Okay, and you, could you still not talk? Or? I could talk a bit. So so you noticed that through listening to the sound, doing meditation, you started to be able to start to formulate words, and be yeah. able to speak a little bit, but I mean, there was a huge way to go, if anywhere but you were just noticing that there was tiny little improvements that were being made. meditation particularly, really, I started having experiences and that made me able to dial down my pain medication. And mainly it wasn't because I thought, oh, I'm having relief. Mainly it was because I started to have these wild experiences doing meditation. And I was like, so are these real? Are these like travelling different places and seeing different things and connecting to things and travelling down tunnels and then popping out places? Are these real or is this because I'm on medication? Yeah. So let's dial down the medication. Stay with the pain. Use the meditation and the sound to deal with the pain. Very crudely, because, you know, I'm just learning this from listening to things. I've not had any experience yet of yoga or meditation or actual people. This is just your own sort of thing. So I went to... Spain to see um, an autoimmune specialist. I went to uh, stay with some friends at 3,000 feet, great altitude. It's where they used to set, I think they sent Julius Caesar there to get over pneumonia back in the day. So it's one of those places that kings and queens would go. That helped tremendously the high altitude. Still in a wheelchair, but then thinking, well, actually, there might be something to this. But my medication by now is down, 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 down. And I'm starting to be able to swallow. I'm having soft foods, which food is so strong. I can remember eating um, an egg and thinking, my gosh, I can taste the chicken. (laughs) (laughs) A bit like, you know how people go about goat milk? People say about goat milk, how it's so, it's so much so overpowering. So overpowering. Yeah. That was everything. Wow. So then I started thinking about diet and I started looking at Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and started to think, okay, I've not improved dramatically, but maybe I should go and see my daughter's life that she built in America. Because she moved there when I was when she was 16. And I had 15, 16, and I hadn't seen her life because I had the stroke not long afterwards. So I went to a place called uh, Lin's Daughters, which is a really famous Chinese herbalist uh, and traditional medicine in New York. I went and had cryotherapy, 
which was fun, minus 45. It was oh not. Oh my gosh. I know, you'd pop in there and then you come out and they heat you up and you're on these. Oh my gosh. What do you go in? In, <laughs> in a pair of Ugg boots <gasps> and a pair of oven mitts. Oh my gosh. At minus 45? Yeah. For how long? <laughs> you build. If you're okay. fit, you build. If you're fit, you start at five minutes. That's maximum. But for me, I could manage a minute. So uh, it was twice a day I would go and have it done. And then you'd come out and then these, they'd go into these massage chairs that heat, which I've never come across anywhere else, but they actually give you mild panic because they encase your arms and legs in them and they squeeze. Oh, my. And there is a point where you're thinking, are they going to break my legs? But actually, when I came out, uh, the fluid, because I had a, like a huge hump of fluid on my back and I had massive... Um, I was like just completely bent because I was protect my kidneys weren't working and so I came out and the fluid was gone. So wow. after a week of that, I was much better. And then came the plant medicine and the yoga and the sound mixed together, and that's when things got really, really interesting. Yeah, talk about it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> firstly, like, how did you get into the plant medicine itself? Um, someone random. It's so random. Uh, we went to Coachella, not the place that you would expect to have a spiritual experience. Uh, and I was in a um, in a wheelchair, and we went off. And this woman had been spoken to or something, and she came up. And she was like, "I'm going to take you away, and I'm going to give you something to drink." And don't know what it was. Had a drink. She talked me through the pain, about seeing the pain, visualising the pain. And once I'd seen it, and then to push it back to where it, and to find where it came from. And it was like a snake. And I'd never felt it. Uh, before, I just felt it was overwhelming. Yeah. But you could trace it from the right foot, wrapping itself around your both legs together, then coming up in a, like a serpenty kind of thing, and then up into the back of your neck. And it was white. And it was very hot and very nasty. And then she was like, now we're going to push that back. And then I left there on crutches. From there, and then I started doing yoga, which was when I became really present, I would say. Sitting on a mat, not able to sit up properly, in the middle of a restorative yoga class, and finding that to be like as if I was climbing a mountain. That's when I really realised where I was. To not be able to sit, I'm not talking about cross-legged, but just to be able to sit with your legs out and support yourself. That was humbling. And I think that was the turning point, was to know that you only had one way to go. You had nothing to lose, yeah. one way to go, and you, I had completely accepted how bad I was. And at that stage, did you still have it in your mind that you only had five years left to live? Or how long had this been? This has been, so I'd been ill for five years. I was two years into exploring being well, which I hadn't looked at it like exploring being well. I thought I was just coping, really. Mm -hmm. And trying to ease or appease people around me who looked just so terrified all the time. Or you'd catch them weeping because they were so sad at what had happened. And did you feel that that sadness, did you feel sadness in you as well? Or did you think, 
I can do this. Like I, did you, did you have a sense of a real journey about it rather than sadness? And was it sort of frustrating for you to see that sadness around you because you could see the transformation that you were going through? Or I guess you didn't know that there was a destination. So you just were, you were just, it was just such a slow progress. But did you feel like you were on this kind of mission and you were like, don't, don't be sad or how did... I never, uh, it occurred to me while I, after I'd been doing yoga for a couple of months that I'd never ever thought of myself as being ill because one, somebody said to me, um, you know, you've had a lot of health problems over the last six years, seven years. And I went, but I don't think about it like that it never so somehow I've never thought of myself as being ill even though I'd been however bad I'd been I always had hope the next day and even those times where I'd been so desperate that I was going to go and take myself away I don't think now looking back on it I was going to take myself away to die I think I was going to take myself away to get well and I needed to shed the people around me even though they meant well and love were loving, I needed to be on my own. Yeah. There is a lot to be said for going off on your own. And all of these things I did on my own that followed from the yoga onwards. I, I would just spend days and days and months just being solitary. I think, I mean, if you look at shamans from across, the, from across history and anybody um, who takes on a spiritual path or that goes through that process you realize it is a process that you can only do for yourself and other people can sort of tell you what things or lead you the way but only you can lead yourself and in that sense you need to be isolated or you need to give yourself that time to explore and to expand no one can do it for you so it's incredible that you just you almost had that it was almost like the world was like, we're taking you from this person and we're going to turn you into this person and that incredible journey. And it's so isolating. You're locked in at one point. So it really makes you go in and it makes you explore, you know, the whole internal landscape. And then from there to grow and blossom out. It's like, you know, listening to your story, it's a bit like the transformation from caterpillar to butterfly and you go into that stage of that chrysalis where you literally are locked in. You know, you're transforming inside and no one can necessarily see that until you start to break out of the mould that you were in and you find your way to fly. I think, I think that's true. And also since I then went on to do um, the, the monarchy rites and all that, the four wind stuff, it definitely, we start reading it and we're going, as similar to what you're like, wow, that's what a shaman does. First of all, they clean their body with food, which is something I didn't talk about, but the first thing I did was I cut out all food. Once I could eat, I stopped everything and went to having just Chinese congee, which is just a simple um, nice porridge that's more water and glutinous water really than anything. And then slowly reintroduced food and then found out obviously that I couldn't tolerate animal protein at all now because of the damage I can't I can't digest it there's bits of me missing through wow. restorative surgery that just will then that was also causing me to high toxicity so I did the food thing which is the first thing in the shaman's path is to clean your body uh, I then do uh, physical which was grueling I mean I did multidisciplinary practices after I got over the restorative is a workout <laughs> I did I went from doing that to 
eight, nine months' time, I was doing Ashtanga and doing full-on Ashtanga workshops. And that was mind-blowing to me that I did that. So that's purifying your body. And then I went on to do meditation. I found Kundalini and meditation and things like that. And then that was just like, wow. So those things weren't to do with medication. Those were all real experiences. And then shamanism from there on. Wow. And sound. And so at what point did you think, like, do you feel that you're well? Did you get to a point where you're like, I know I've, I've come full circle and I feel well, or do because I know that incrementally every day it's different and sometimes you don't really have that realization that I've done it. But did you? Did you have a, a wow um, moment? I think kind of. I, I'm never going to be 100% well. That's something that also has been shown to me quite, you know. Just when you think like, so I was going to start doing these retreats and go and do this and that and the other. And I then planned my like next six months as if I am a person that's never had anything wrong with them. Mm. And the universe came back and went, no. <laughs> Here's a little, so there are little relapses every so often, but they are a day or two days instead of years. And I have tools that I can use to help me through those to get rid of them. Or not get rid of them. But they're also a sign that I'm doing too much. Yeah. And then you know. So kind of a no at the same time. It's like every time you think you are, I get a little reminder that I'm not quite. <laughs> that you're not a work, that you are a work in progress. I mean, we're all works in progress. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that we can constantly transform ourselves. We can transform our worldviews. We can transform our bodies. Um, we're constantly a work in progress. We're constantly changing and adapting, and Definitely. and that's what I think we have to do with the world itself as well. Um, but have you been back to the doctors? Like, have they perceived you to be? When I was, when I was <laughs> yeah. still like, this is who I am. This is my journey. And I would walk in. I walked in there really proudly and went, here I am, not in a wheelchair, not not on crutches, not having you know like being able having horrific times of pain and whatever um and they were like wow how have you done that and so I listed all the different modalities that I've done and still continuing to expand because it's like just like the world just opens for you um and they were like can you give us everything that you've done but we can't recommend it because we are not able to but if I could I could print off some of the places that you've been to and I could leave them on the side. This is a neurologist um, and he could leave them for patients and say, oh, I've got someone who might have done this. But they can't actually say, hey, go off and take some plant medicine, go off and do yoga, get off your meds. And do you think that that's, I mean... Obviously, we have to have limitations, we've got to have controls, but do you think it's one of the sad parts of the society that we live in now that so many people might be stuck in paralysis or in a um, difficult, um, ill or, you know, unhealed or what word is, you know, that they could be stuck there and have no knowledge that there is any way forward or that there is any way out because... There's no one to support them in that way. A lot, a lot of people. I mean, I had a sound bath at 
the weekend and everybody that turned up was ill. And it was not only a reflection to me of some of the states that I've been in, because they were all in various states, but these were all people that are, I'm not saying that they're not ill, but we talk about psychosomatic mm. illness, but we don't ever talk about psychosomatic wellness. Mm. So it's so acceptable to say that you can have, you can be psychosomatically ill and you can bring these things on yourself, but we never say that you can reverse that. So that is a lot, that to me is logic. That's not woo-woo alternative. That's just logical. If you can make it happen, you can make it happen in reverse, surely. Yeah. Well, I mean, my father had, um, had to have a liver transplant and they told him, you know, stress itself eats up the liver. So as he's there, like, you cannot feel stress because stress damages your body. It's going to damage your liver and you're going to be able, it's going to last, um, for a less amount of time and it just makes you think it's like if stress is essentially a feeling you you bring that upon yourself if that can create damage in your body and can create illness then surely exactly what you say the opposite of promoting healing in yourself and being well does exactly that it creates wellness in your body and it's you know we're looking at placebos and things like that it really it's we have not explored because of you know, pharmaceutical companies and because of the ways, the rigid ways that our society works, we haven't actually explored the true nature of our imagination and of how we can direct our thoughts. It's it's a kind of extraordinary thing that that's not more promoted and it's because it can't quite be explained by the science that we have now. I think it's also a huge monetary thing. And if you think yeah. about it, when we're children, we run around, you, you fall over and you hurt, they, they hurt their knee, you hurt your knee. The first thing they do is they put their hand on their knee with instinctually yeah. because it makes it feel better. And yet you talk to someone about Reiki, and indeed me, before I became a Reiki practitioner, it would be like, oof, Reiki, energy work, ooh, that's not real. And yet, as children, we instinctively go to do that. Yeah. Or you blow on it, or, you know, your parents say, just blow on it. Yeah. Is that not the same as Reiki. And it's the same with a hug, for example, you yeah. know, if that if you're hurt, how does a hug, you know, it helps. It's that it's the comfort, it's the support, it's the notion that you're being supported and that healing energy of someone like or the the comforting energy of someone else is helping you to feel better. I mean essentially it's their acceptance of that too. It's their acceptance of the ability the need to heal and or the need to be well and their self-healing and during my shamanic training it was exactly that it's like I'm guiding but they're healing themselves it's this sort of the symbiotic relationship and I think that that's what we're missing in our society at the moment is that it is so much about self-healing um connecting in and awakening and learning and expanding and realizing our potential and that's magic I mean that's what all of these ancients have been talking about yeah, no, it is. And also the thing with, if you think about when you go back to that, how that different sensation of when, some, when you say to a child, you'll be fine, up you get, you keep that hurt inside you. And then, you know, I went to a, an aha moment for me was going to an Anadea Judith. Anadea Judith is like considered the, she's a Western psychologist, a bit like Graham really, also sim, similar sort of age, um, uh, who is a leading light really in energy work uh, and she combines the two she does eastern i'm going to get it wrong but it's eastern body western mind so she correlates um western psychology with eastern medicine 
all of it. So we talk about chakra development as you're going up. And I went to one of her lectures and I was like, that's it. It's all energy. Yeah. We are all energy. And once you start to realise, I think that, and then for me that helped me because being sciencey, it was like, oh, okay, now I can really run with this. Mm. And I know that people go, oh, that's like, that's new agey science. That's not real. Actually, it is real. Mm. And we can feel that if you just stop for a moment and you look for the most ancient part of yourself and you look for that part of yourself that's immortal, that you can actually start to tap in and you can start to feel the energy that's within you. And that can be such a transformative moment. I agree. And that's all that's needed. Anyone can do it. We don't need to have priests or scientists or anyone telling us and the only person that's limiting us is ourselves no and that is where i am there's a, a kind of got a little bit preachy at a sandbar <laughs> that we can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i had to tell them oh, am i lecturing a little bit because i realized that a few of the people you know they're they, they just needed to stop mm. And it's to look at why they're like it. You know, one of them wanted to be seen. One of them obviously had some, you know, there were, there, was an, there were different stages of childhood development in these adult women that were in front of me, and they were stuck there. Yeah. But they've got no tools. We're not given any tools on how to identify that. It's not public. And if it is, it's like... You're a bit dodgy. Yeah. You know, you've gone off on it. You're you've gone completely too far. There's going to be an intervention, I think, <laughs> you know, because you're talking about weird things now. But how weird is it, really, in compared to like someone saying to you, right, here's a load of medicine that's going to give you serious side effects. You know, my hair fell out, my teeth fell out. Oh I had to have all my teeth, well, most of them replaced, and that was from the meds. So what's wilder, talking about? stopping and tuning into your body and recognizing your own superpower it's not that i'm unusual everybody can do it mm. or what's crazier to take a load of meds that are going to take make you so unwell you're not sure whether your illness is making you ill or is it the medication and you're never going to get out of that hole yeah. because you're then dependent that was one of the hardest things was to get out of the meds because I was addicted to morphine, a morphine driver. So Gosh. getting out of that sort of thing. Well, that, you know, that has changed my worldview entirely. What worries me at the moment is that because there is such a rise in awakenings and acceptance of things like astrology, um, energy work, that there and sound as a modality, that you can get that thing that happened in the 60s. And the 70s in the 60s there was that huge breakthrough of psychedelics and meditation and that there is a different way to be and then pharmaceutical companies realized that there was no money in that because you can grow your own little mushrooms and treat somebody who's got bipolar or borderline personality or any of those sort of personality disorders and you can fix they can fix themselves they can microdose themselves to make themselves work mm. That doesn't earn anybody any money. At the moment, there is, if you can keep, instead of a, like a pyramid kind of world that we've lived in, structure, where you're expected to be told and nannied, if you like, from the 
top down. Now you're looking at a more circular society, which is how people lived centuries ago. Yeah. Everyone looks up, everyone rises together or nobody rises. And that's definitely a business model that I've incorporated. And that's how, because I don't see the separation from business and life. Mm. Not if you're doing any sort of work, yeah. but particularly this kind of work. I totally agree. I mean, it's why I, my favourite sort of meditations is when we're sitting in a circle, because I really don't want to be separated. I want to, everybody is the same. Everybody has the capacity to meditate everyone has the capacity to self-heal everyone has the capacity to connect it becomes a fluidity and that we pass on what we know and we learn from someone else and we have to realize that we have power within ourselves we don't need to always be yeah aim like looking up no i agree totally and it doesn't mean just because i practice sound that i know everything about sound because i've trained with you know i'm doing other i do other things but it's been really shocking to me that not all teachers walk their talk outside of the classroom. Yeah. It's like they're two different people. And I, I'm coming from a point of view like you and I have of where we've needed to do this to, to realise who we are as people, not to change, but to realise our truth. Yeah. Then that is in the classroom and outside of the classroom. There's no separation for me. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that there's always something more to be learned. I just don't think that you can, I mean, you're never going to know everything. It's it's an impossibility. It mm. just doesn't happen. And so, and actually, the more humble you are and the more willing you are to learn, the more you're able to see each other as they are, the more able you are to connect to that deeper part of yourself, to witness your shadow part and to allow that to come through because you're humble to it. You're not trying to be a particular person and to shut everything else out because that distorts your perception of yourself and it distorts you. Mm. And that's the opposite of what you're trying to to work towards and to help other people. Um, it's really about opening people and not trying to steer them in, into a particular structure or way. I think as a teacher, the best thing you can do is to give people mirrors, to be able to look at themselves. And in all of our relationships, we're all mirrors for each other. We see, you know, we see ourselves reflected back. Um, and that's all lessons to learn. And I think, but as a teacher, it's not, yeah, it's not about directing. It's literally about showing a person themselves so that they can explore deeper. That's why I like the bowls as well, because I can step back. Mm. They do their thing. I just listen to what they do. And then you see the effect that they've had on people. And that's really rewarding. And have you seen, I mean, in terms of that, have you seen some really transformational things happen through the use of your playing and your Yeah, work? I mean, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy doing group sandbars, but I enjoy, my main core work is dealing with people that are terminal. And I really, it's a really, it's a very personal thing. It's also a very, it's a privilege to be there when someone's taking their last breath to just play for them. And normally I would have gone in and started that, say, six months beforehand and built up a rapport with people. Uh, and it's not always about our kind of work. People are always looking for to be healed, touching back on something that you said earlier, but it's not necessarily about being healed. If you can just ease suffering for a little while, then surely that's... That's it. 
there is not always a lot of my patients die it's not that's not what my job is mm. my job is to help them transition which is a lot which is where i find it and also you know people who've got chronic pain find that during a 50-minute session or an hour session they have no pain it's they call they they talk about it as being like the elongated bit if you've ever been in serious pain or long-term illness there's that moment where you wake up in the morning and for that split second there is no pain there is no oh gosh i feel awful how am i going to get through the day there is just you've woken up and it's the day mm. and that's gone a second later because your pain as your senses coming starts to rise whereas they talk about it being like an elong elongating that daybreak so for that point it's just, that's what someone said to me it was like the, the first moment that they wake up so if you could do that for 50 minutes for people that's all you need to do i think that's that's as far as is that's as difficult as it gets and that's not difficult. But as transformational to that person as, as possible. You know, when you are living with a lifetime of pain, to have a 50-minute gap in the day where you don't have pain, I mean, that's just transformational. I have a patient who's just, well, she's not now, she's just gone back to work after having two years out of work. She's a nursery nurse, and she had chronic migraines. She's not been able to function. She's got two young children. And she's gone back to work. It's just fabulous. And the one thing that you wouldn't associate would be noise yeah. to fix a migraine. Um, or somebody else who's been off work for five years who's gone back and she's had chronic fatigue syndrome and she spent 10 years or five years with ten, five to 10 years without any avoiding all noise or contact. And when someone said that I could help her, they thought, or the bowls could help her, that they'd be that they were crazy because like it's noise and it's gonna yeah. make me feel awful and she's gone back to work so yeah there are huge transformations some people have huge spiritual wake-ups huge yeah so um, but mainly the relief on pain well why does it do that so what is it about sound resonance that affects us so deeply it's because of the bowls that i use they work using um Frequencies. I work with 432 and 440. There's big arguments over which is better. I think it depends on the person, really. And I work with sharps, which work on your endocrine system and with cancer. They work very well with people with cancer. I didn't know that when I bought them, but it's just like they spoke to me. Uh, and I work with whole notes that work on your whole chakras. Um, I think because they work on a thing from a, when I strike a bowl, the sound travels out in a little spherical, in a little sphere, spiraling inside at 720 miles an hour. So you are being pummeled by, or massaged on a cellular level by little balls of sound that are going to break down any, any blockages that you've got. And some people, like at the sound bath that we did together, experience like, well, oh, they're going to have a heart attack. <laughs> Great! <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's fab." But actually, and then I explained, and I'd had that. But if I hadn't, she said that if I hadn't given the chat beforehand, where I explained that some people can have these sensations, particularly women, get them in their chest, in their throat, and then travel down their arm, mm -hmm. which is your release of your feminine side, obviously, and 
you know, as women, we have had to generationally swallow our voices mm. a lot. Um, that she wouldn't have been able to breathe through it, but she did breathe through it, and she felt that at the end of it, that she had affirmation. So again, that is an experience of a blockage being released mm. of energy that was stuck. People think about energy as being as being as being a very solid thing, like turning on a light switch, but it really isn't. We it, we are just made up. We are a dance of two types of energy flowing all over the place, and it takes a it takes a kind of it's almost like being at a dance and someone comes over to you and asks you to dance and offers their hand and that opposing energy is the person that's asking your hand and you bring them back towards you and then you dance and somehow you dance together and that is what the, that's how the bowls work for me in people they enable the energies that are in them the molecules that are in them from blood to bone to vibrate at their frequencies which is neither a negative or a positive, it just is. Energy isn't, illness isn't something that has happened, is a bad thing that's happened to you. It's just energy that has gone slightly awry. And it's just, a, it's the whole universe is a massive dance. Yeah. It's a flow, nothing solid. But we see things as solid. So the bowls help me, and when I'm working with them, that's what I see. Mm. I just see energy. So people turn into nice little energetic lights at the end of the thing that I can see by the way that they, they move or they vibrate, how how they respond to it all. So it's like it's like when you work must be like when you work with Reiki and yeah. you connect in and you can just feel the differences of the different energies that are present. I mean I have quite a lot of sight, so I do kind of see see things um particularly when I'm doing journey work but um yeah I think that that's extraordinary and I do sort of see you I think uh, Wendy and I did a did a event together um where I led a meditation and then she did the singing you did the bowls and it was really incredible because I was able to both experience it and then to sit up beside you and watch it and could feel just your total I think power is maybe the wrong word, but it's it's that sort of that sort of energy, I guess, um, over that space and over all of the people there, and this real sensitivity to every person. No one was left out, and just creating this harmony, this symphony of of sound, yes, but also the energy that was working through everybody. It was just kind of extraordinary. And oddly, when I have a moment when I got up between lying down and sitting up, I could see color everywhere and uh, just in different places. And I didn't really attune it to anything. I just sort of, I was in a kind of <laughs> strange <laughs> space. So I just remember sitting and then just sitting down and kind of just going back into listening to the, the waves and how that was taking me out of body. Um, but I do, I have this very clear moment of just seeing colour, coloured light. Um, yeah. And you're sort of witnessing that and working with it. And I just think it's extraordinary. You really do have a, a beautiful gift to give. Thank you. Um, and it comes from a place of, well, just really that I've walked that path and I know where, where people are. And it is difficult to pull the 
to do it for everybody because there were yoga instructors, people there who are just ready for it, and they are all they are open and they are their chakras are open. They are ready, and I could have played complete. There were three people there, I think, that I could have played, and you're one of them included. That I could have played a completely different, much very very powerful set for a thing called harmonic dissonance which is a very very powerful set and i use it a lot with people who've got cancer mm -hmm. so people who are very very poorly can handle it but sometimes i do couples ones where one person's very ill and one's not a person who's not ill can't cope with it how interesting they get up and they normally leave a little bit through or i have to put them to sleep a little bit beforehand so i play a different kind of set just and then when they've gone, you just know when they've gone, and then I can play for the person that's ill, because they or they can experience it while they're sort of in that sort of stasis. But they're, if they're conscious, properly conscious, people who are not well. But you know, people who are in energy work love harmonic dissonance and binaural beats, and the changing of people's brainwaves works fabulously with people that have um, anxiety, depression. Oh, all right, Wendy. I think, wow, we've done well for an hour. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> I think we could talk all day, if not longer. Um, but it's been such a pleasure to have you um, on the podcast. I suddenly got lost halfway through that, <laughs> the fact that we were even recording. I just got so excited and hooked into our conversation. Um, but yes, thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. And um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? They would do that on Instagram, which would be Ananda Rising, and on Facebook, which would be Ananda Rising. Wonderful. The easiest way to get a hold of me. Great. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. You're welcome. It's been lovely. And so that was our conversation. And I really think I could have gone so far in many different directions with speaking to her because Wendy is just such a light and a joy to speak to and to work with. And she just has so much information and has had so many experiences. And the fact that she has made her way through such a difficult period with humility and honesty, integrity and love. It just shows how these experiences really do make us stronger and change us as people and change our direction in life and how that really is how life is. You know, it's, it's this movement, it's this change and at every point when we're challenged, we find a way through it and we explore the things that we never thought we would and we reach for the things that might seem impossible but how that just allows the weird to really come into your life. And I just think it's fascinating that Wendy came from that scientific background as a Microsoft engineer to then accept her situation, to surrender to it and then to take control and to explore things that she never would have explored and so I love that as a weird story and to show that healing is possible that you can heal yourself from paralysis maybe not completely but to really experience an incredible transformation of body and mind 
and spirit. So during that episode, she did say about her listening to Ramdas as a way to reach out for that spiritual something to see about deeper meaning. And so she listened to the audiobook Be Here Now by Ramdas. And so instead of using music to um, end this podcast, I've taken a little clip um, and put that at the end, which is Ramdas speaking. So I hope that you enjoy that. And I look forward to speaking to you very soon. If you want to be in touch with me, then find me on my website, which is tansyalexandra.com. Or you can follow This Weird World so that you never miss an episode. And you can hear these episodes wherever you get your podcasts, from Spotify to Stitcher to Apple Podcasts. So do find me and leave a review if you enjoy it. So I just want to send you the deepest blessings and wishing you a really beautiful month. Don't yearn for things of the past. Let the past go with forgiveness. Let the future go with no anticipation. Each of us contains a being that doesn't die and a being that does die. Everything must change except the songs.